0: What's going on, guys? Welcome to today's episode. I'm sitting down with Tony Gentilcore, and we're going to be talking about mobility for enhanced performance. So first off, Tony, thanks so much for jumping on, man. It's, it's great to have oh, you. Oh,
1: my pleasure. You know, it's funny. You, you, it's quite uh, ironic that you bring up the idea of, of mobility today, given that uh, I, I feel pretty stiff today, or this week, in general, with my training. I just got back from my, my training session. and I was like, man, this is not a good week for me.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> So can you give a little bit of an introduction to yourself and some of the work that you've been doing just for people who maybe aren't familiar with you?
1: Yes, I uh, am a strength conditioning coach, personal trainer. I've been in the industry for a while now. Uh, I think 2002 is when I I entered the the industry. I worked as a, a commercial gym trainer for, if I remember the first five years of my career, I was wandering around the, the commercial gym sphere, working as a, as a personal trainer. Uh, and then in, in circa 2007, I helped co-found Cressy Sports Performance uh, just here, just outside Boston, along with Eric Cressy and Pete Dupuy. Um, and that was home base for me for about eight years. And then in, in 2015, I decided to leave and venture off on my own. And I, I now own and operate a small personal training studio here in Boston, Brookline, uh, where I, I mainly work with with gen pop clients now and um, but I still like to get them to kind of kind of like lean into their inner athlete um, and certainly love the idea of helping people find their confidence and strength and helping them feel better and move better and um, yeah and on top of that I do a fair amount of writing. I, I may want, when when it's allowable, I, I get to do a lot of workshops and travel around the, around the world and do that, which is always very nice. I haven't I miss doing that. I haven't been able to do that for two years for obvious reasons. Um, but yeah, that's more or less my my one minute elevator pitch of, of my career.
0: Awesome, man. I actually had no idea that you uh, co-founded uh, Cressy Sports Performance.
1: Oh, yeah. I'm kind of a big deal.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's wild. Because I've known about you for a long time, but I guess uh, I, I, I didn't know that aspect. So that's really cool.
1: Yeah, Eric and I, what happened, he and I met on the Internet, like many people not, do nowadays. And I was, uh, I was, like I said, I was a trainer in the central New York area, like near the Syracuse area. Uh, and he was uh, in Connecticut finishing, uh, getting his master's at UConn. And, you know, he and I had crossed paths via T Nation and various other online training platforms and noticed that we had a lot in common. We, we kind of like liked the same things, like to train the same way. And he and I built a rapport online. And then eventually he, he landed a job in um, Ridgefield, Connecticut at a commercial gym there. And he knew I was kind of itching to get out of central New York. That's not necessarily like this, this mecca of personal training uh, uh, (laughs) um, fortitude or anything in in that area. So uh, yeah, he and I worked together for uh, in a gym in in Connecticut for year, and we both moved to Boston. So we were roommates for roughly two, two and a half years uh, when we, when we eventually opened up Krusty sports performance. So yeah, we have, we have a long history together for sure.
0: That's awesome, man. So I guess I just kind of want to root the the conversation in in something so people kind of know a little bit more about what we're talking about specifically, especially because terminology seems to be thrown around a lot, like very loosely in a lot of these cases. So can you sort of like just give a brief outline of of what mobility is and how that might be different from like maybe flexibility and then passive versus dynamic and things like that? Yeah,
1: yeah. So to me, you know, when we talk about flexibility and mobility, a lot of people use them pretty Synonymously, or synat synonymously, I think I'm saying that term correctly. Uh, and to me, flexibility is, is more or less like passive range of motion. Meaning, like if I ask somebody to um, squat down, or, or actually just to squat down, like you know, when I like when I do an assessment with with people for the first time, one of my assessment protocols is I just have them stand in front of me. I say, "Show me a body weight squat." Some people can drop it down like it's hot and get their butt all the way down to their ankles. Other people can uh, are, struggle to get to 90 degrees. Uh, and to me, that, that, that gives me an idea of their flexibility. However, their mobility is the, is the, the, uh, the ability to control that range of motion. So when I, when I load them up, um, what, are they, what are they actually able uh, to control? So, and then, then we can start talking about like muscle length is actually flexibility. And then when we talk about bone structure and, and, and joints, then we talk about a little bit more of the mobility side of things. So, you know, they're, they're, they're probably more, they're probably more similar than they are dissimilar, but it should, a lot of it's just sort of just bordering around semantics. Um, you know, when, then when we talk about passive versus active range of motion, um, Passive range of motion is is what people can do on their own. So if I have somebody lay on their back and have them do, um, and and I stretch their their hamstrings, you know that 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 and and they're doing it on their own. That is going to be their 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 passive range or their excuse me their active range of motion. You know then when I when I help them, that's going to be a little bit more of what of the of their passive range of motion, like me helping them through that range of motion. So a lot of times, what I try to do is I try to ascertain uh do those things match? Because oftentimes people might display really poor passive range of motion. Um, but then when I when, I'm, when, when I ask them to do it on their own, it might improve or it might not be the same. So, you know, it's certainly we're trying to figure that out during those assessments.
0: Yeah, 100%. And I think that's one of the reasons why it's kind of important to create those distinctions sometimes when mm-hmm. we're using some of the verbiage. And it's probably not so important just for like gen pop or whatever. But then at the same time, in order to understand what people are talking about, it's it's kind of like when people say, don't eat a high protein diet because it's bad for, you know, it's bad for you. And then it's like, well, that's true, but it's also false. It just depends on the context, yeah. right? Yeah. So a lot of the times I think that's why these, these kind of conflicting pieces of information, which really aren't that conflicting, can kind of seem a little bit confusing to some people. So um, yeah, that definitely makes a lot of sense. I, I kind of wanted to start off, I guess, with discussing the relationship between mobility and performance, because it's not exactly a, a, a clear or a direct relationship. So can you kind of kind of broaden the context a little bit to, to kind of get us going?
1: Like, like, you mean, in terms of like, how, like, when we're in the weight room type type of situation? Um, like how? What...
0: Feel free to also venture into just like field sports and things like that. So how, how does someone's like, you know, mobility, their active range of motion actually impact injury. So,
1: so to me, like when I, let's, let's take the squat, for example. So when I, when I assess somebody's squat, again, look, I'm going to have, they're going to stand in front of me and I'm going to say, okay, what I want you to do, assume your most, your, your most comfortable stance possible, put your hands out in front of you just as a counterbalance. And I say, show me a squat. Like, what, what does that look like? That, that is, and I'm, I'm trying to see like, what do, what can they do? How much range of motion do they have? So oftentimes what I find is people may have a hard time getting to uh, 90 degrees or even below 90 degrees. And that, that is an abstract number. I'm not someone that thinks everyone has to squat below parallel or grass or anything like that. But again, as their coach, I want to see, okay, what, what kind of range of motion do they have access to? Um, and if they, out of the gate, show me that they can, under control, with 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 good joint mechanics, meaning they keep a neutral spine, they're not rounding their back, their knees aren't caving in, they show me a pretty deep squat, um, it it stands the reason that okay, they they we we can probably go train that right away. Um, alternatively, if someone has a hard time getting to let's say ninety degrees, I think we've We have been programmed as an industry and certainly people who are are not in the industry have been programmed this way to think that there is some form of mobility restriction or that we need to stretch stretch it out or do like a a litany or laundry list of of mobility drills in in order to get that mobility. Where I would argue that, okay, well, let's dig a little bit deeper. Let me put you on your back and say, okay, lay on your back. Now bend your knees 90 degrees and try to pull your knees toward your chest. Oftentimes, most people will be able to like touch their knees to their chest. And I'll tell them like, okay, listen, you're on your back. If I were to invert you 90 degrees or take this picture and flip it 90 degrees, what does that look like? It looks like a pretty deep squat. So, and I'm like, well, then it's not a mobility issue. You just proved to me that you had the range of motion, like your hips had the adequate access to this range of motion your knees have access to the range of motion that that you that that you can that you have it you have this access so to me that's where it's very important to find or to, to differentiate that disparity between what can they do on their own what can they do with help Um, Because then oftentimes as fitness professionals, we end up barking up the wrong tree because then we, if we just assume that someone can't squat to a certain depth because it's a mobility issue, then all we're doing is a bunch of hip mobility drills and hip flexor mobilizations and, you know, stretching this and yanking on that and, and, and just having people foam roll to their blue in the face. Whereas oftentimes I find that it's, it really is more of a stability and strength issue um, that they're. For some reason their nervous system is kind of putting on the brakes so they they don't squat to a certain depth because it deems that it's going they're going to hurt themselves because because they they don't have control over that range of motion um then that that's an important differentiation to make
0: yeah 100 percent. again that goes back to what you're saying earlier about like the distinction between passive and active range of motion yes. you look at something you see very very often in like in in uh coaching right so especially for powerlifting because it's a little bit easier to kind of understand yeah you know you see someone who can't squat below parallel and they just like their squat looks like absolute garbage all of a sudden you put it on tempo and you're like hey i want you to go four seconds down two second hold all of a sudden boom The hip below parallel their spine isn't a good position they're not like you know doing a stripper squatting with like that and it's like oh, you just slow things down a little bit. So and, and, and and that that to me
1: comes down like you you're that is beautiful because that that to me is just finding their entry point. So sometimes whether it's just tempo, um you know, like doing pot, like having them pause in a certain situation and do an isometric hold, or even giving giving them a little ex- external support where, okay, maybe they have to hold on to a trx or hold on to a pole to give them that stability so then they can kind of like, learn to get down to a certain depth. Okay. Then they let go of that, the TRX or they let go of the pole. Now they own that position. Now stand up, boom, you just did a squat. Like, you know, so sometimes it's, it's just proving to people that they can do something rather than harping on what they can't. And I think that's the message that I'm really trying to get across to more fitness professionals, especially when they're working with new athletes and new gen pop clients is really trying to focus on what people can do and not what they can't show them success you know, find their entry point. Another another term I use is find their trainable menu and then hammer the shit out of that trainable menu. Um, and you're gonna you're gonna do so much um, good uh, from a psychological standpoint with them. Cause now a lot of people are, are used to trainers telling them that oh, like oh your adductors are tight or you lack hip internal rotation, your your ankle dorsal flexion is horrible. So we have to do all these drills to fix those and address those. Where honestly, you and I both know that that shit is normal. Like we, you know, nothing is going to be perfect. We don't, we don't live in textbooks where we have this, this unlimited access to this, this full range of uh, this, this full spectrum of mobility. Um, Some joints are tighter than others. Some people are picked the wrong parent. Some people have past injury histories that we have to be aware of Um, the, the, the notion here that, you know, everyone's going to have access to this full spectrum of, of, uh, range of motion and mobility at all times or and if they don't they're somehow dysfunctional or broken um i think it's just a you know pretty narrow-minded viewpoint
0: yeah and to be honest the more i think about it the more i believe that that sort of thing was kind of catalyzed by big box pt gym like pt sure. Gym. like sure you know i know when i first became a pt i was working in a big gym and one of the things that they would do is they would like oh let's do an assessment and then it would always be the same thing. They're like, oh, your feet are externally rotated, which means your hips are too tight. You've been sitting down too long, so your hip flexors are shortened and your glutes are too long. And it's like, that's an insane concept. <laughs> it's like, oh, your this is too tight and your this is blah, blah, blah. And so we need to do all this stuff. And so it's like, it's kind of this fear mongering and demonizing like what you said. And like these things, they're not even really imbalances. They're just like asymmetries and an asymmetry sure. isn't even a bad thing. Like you look nope. at a baseball player and you're going to see a massive asymmetry in their throwing arm. And it's like, is that bad? No, that's actually really beneficial performance, you know, so long as it stays within a certain spectrum. And right. so I think understanding the context of a lot of these things and, and you know, some of the terminology that coaches use is definitely is, is, is kind of feeding into this kind of ideology that we have these global pathologies that, that just seem to be, you know, so pervasive among every single person. It's like, oh, you know, your knee is caving in like two degrees and that means you have a knee valgus and it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I think you're fine. But then actually something you said earlier, which I really liked as well, was talking about regressions, right? You know, if you see some issue, you don't need to get them doing bird dogs and all this stuff. It's like, okay, maybe you can't do a squat, but let's see if you can do a goblet squat. If you can't do a barbell squat, let's see, you know, and like going from kind of top down and regression. Yep. So okay, what's what's the most advanced thing that you can do because that's ultimately going to get you – the best results in a lot of cases, right? Because we don't yes. need to take everyone down to their hands and knees or laying on their back with a foam roll or breathing into a balloon. Um, oh, and by the way, that's not an attack on PRI. I'm a big fan of PRI, but that was well, just- I am too. I, I am, am too. Crazy. Yeah. No, it, there's so it's like. I, the I-
1: I think, I think it's a natural progression of any coach or trainer. I think we've all started in that mindset where you know we, we read the textbook that we have to read to, to get the certification that we're, we're um, going for. Um, and truthfully, when you really think about it and I, I'm not the first I, I can't say that this this thought process is what I came up with. I, I forget who I heard say it first, but I, I absolutely leaned into it and loved it. Um, when you think about it, a lot of these assessments, uh, that we, that we've, that have been kind of pounded over our heads over the past 10, 15 years, when you really think about it, what the end goal of those assessments are is to sell training. So, you know, when you really think about it, like if you, if you, if you're working, if you're if, say, we'll call it an intake session assessment, whatever you want to call it. If you're a commercial gym trainer, you know, your objective is to get that individual to purchase uh, a package of some sort that they work with you. Cause then you're making money that obviously the, the, the gym is making money and everything, everyone's happy. So the purpose of many times, the purpose of these assessments that we've been programmed to do or think is super important is to show people how broken they are and that, Oh, the, the these are these 10 things that look at like, Oh, your right shoulder more internally rotated or your little kyphotic Your your thoracic spine needs more mobility, you know, your left eye is lower than your right eye. That's really weird. And we need to work on that. And, you know, and honestly, like, I got to say, like, I, I can look back early in my career. I can't even imagine how many people I turned off from wanting to work with me because I, I went out of my way to do nothing, but show them how much of a walking ball fail they were in their initial session with me, you know, and, you know, I, and I had to learn just with, you know, being in the in- industry for a while and just, just natural progression as a coach is that, this is, this is not me saying that I don't think assessments aren't important. They obviously are. However, to me now, as a my, my assessment now as a coach is to really kind of take somebody through a rudimentary training session. You know, I want to get them moving. Like, yes, there are some things that I look at on, on a training table. I, I take out the training table. I have people lying on their back. And I take them through a basic hip scour. And I, again, I'm doing that active versus passive range of motion, active straight leg raise, hip flexion. And I'm trying to see, okay, what can they do on their own? What can they do with help from me? And I'm trying to see, is there a mismatch mismatch there? And of course this all goes into into context with their, their training history, their, their injury history, their current ability level. Are they a complete newbie? Are they an intermediate lifter? Do they, are they a little bit more advanced? Um, But then after that, unless somebody comes into me with a pretty significant injury history, whether it be a lower back issue, knee, shoulder, what have you, I'm really just going to start a training session. And, and and then finding that entry point, like you said, very rarely am I going to put a barbell on somebody's back unless they're already, unless I know they are an advanced lifter and have three or more years of, of quote unquote, good training under their belt. I'm probably not going to put a, 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 a barbell on their back that day, but I will certainly have them do a goblet squat and get a feel for what, and get a feel for what what they what they have there. And if they crush it, then okay, let's let's try a two KB front squat. Uh, and if they crush that, okay, let's try a front squat. Let's let's keep going. Um, and I just try to make that initial session, initial week, you no know, of of um, make that as much of a training session as possible, so they can they get a little bit of a flavor of what type of stuff they can expect from me and what my coaching style is. And that really, I'm not there to tell them that they are awful at doing all these different exercises. It's like, no, my, my job here is to take into consideration what your goals are, take into consideration. Okay. What, what, what current access do you have to this mobility spectrum, this kind of abstract concept that we're talking about? Um, and then if you don't have it, why, like, is it, is it truly, um, you know, a bone, uh, a bony situation, like your anatomy, like yeah, that's just the way you're built. And like, you're we're, no matter how many drills we do, we're not going to get more range of motion in this joint. Or is it more of like a maybe neural tension type of thing, motor learning, central nervous type of situation where we just have to like, look, get you to learn it to ramp up tension in these joints to gain access to that range of motion that, that you now can control. Um, and then just kind of having that bleed into their training session. So I know I'm kind of ranting. I'm kind of losing my my train of thought here, but um, hopefully that makes sense.
0: No, it absolutely makes sense. You're and like, no, it doesn't. Yeah, <laughs> that's, yeah that's like a, that's a bad <laughs> habit that I that I've developed since living. No, here. no, that makes no. Oh, you you scared me for a second. I was like, oh shit. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. you know, you're just like I was like, what are you talking about? Are you saying yes or no? Um. <laughs> So yeah, I mean, a lot of the times when I see mobility issues, it's really just a motor control issue. It's a lot. Yes, of yes. It's 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 an inability to stabilize the movement, and your body just kind of shuts off. So so, for, for anyone who's maybe not necessarily familiar, like if your body senses that you're in danger, it will actually downregulate force production, so you actually can't generate as much force. And this is seen when you're you know using. Um, let's say squatting on a BOSU ball. When, whenever you're doing training in unstable surfaces, they've actually measured this and your force production is substantially less because it's unstable, your body recognizes this and it's like, hey, we are at increased risk. So it actually down-regulates everything. Um, and so if you're not able to stabilize in a movement, your body will actually kind of shut down access to it, right, uh, t- temporarily anyways, until you can actually demonstrate a lot of the times that you can that you can do it. And it's a sort of internal... Um, safety mechanism that we have. And so a lot of the times, like what Tony's talking about, he's mentioned, um, you know, stability a lot. And that's something that I really want to talk about, I guess, in, in the next little bit here. But, um, one of the big things is being able to control where the range of motion is happening. So a lot of the times if, you know, we'll we'll take a squat, you're squatting down, you hit a certain restriction and you feel like you can't necessarily get any better, but you need to squat below parallel. For, for whatever reason so it's like okay well if we've run out of room in your hips we need to gain more range of motion through our ankles if we run out of room in your ankles and your hips well now we need to you know create some segmental kind of range of motion through our through our spine so we kind of see that little pelvic tuck uh, the, the butt wink as people call it and so you're, you're going to find a way to, to access that range of motion And it's not necessarily always the best. Whereas if you're braced, you're nice and stable, you can maintain that, that integrity of the trunk and you just kind of force your body to open up a little bit more effectively. But again, that's a very, very difficult thing to do because it is a motor control issue, not necessarily a, a a lack of flexibility or, you know, an immobility issue. And that's kind of a bit tricky sometimes to explain to people. But then also I think sometimes, you know, or, or, or a lot of the times anyways, for me, like. I don't necessarily do like corrective stuff. It's like the training itself should be the corrective.
1: Sure.
0: And then that's sort of my opinion, right? Like, um, you know, if if you have some sort of issue like bilaterally in, in, in your hips and you really struggle to stabilize or something like that, it's like, okay, well, let's maybe do a contralateral single leg dumbbell deadlift, you know, and see how that affects things or, you know, whatever it might be. And it's like that is simultaneously going to help develop whatever sort of strength characteristics you want to develop, but then it's also going to tackle you know some of the corrective issues some of the motor control issues and so um, in terms of your implementation of of like correctives or, or whatever you want to call them, how do you actually go about like identifying them and then kind of implementing them? yeah
1: um, again, this really kind of the root my root train of thought here is, you know, when it comes to corrective exercise is really the, the, that the client's initial uh, health history. Um, You know, again, if I, if I have somebody coming in with a pretty extensive injury history or health history, or maybe they're, they're just like woefully deconditioned, um, then I'm probably going to be a little bit more corrective for lack of a better term, yeah. um, that's going to be an individual where, yes, I, I am going to take the time to demonstrate how to do a dead bug properly, uh, or a bird dog for that matter. I mean, those two exercises are probably two of the more butchered exercises out there. Um, even with advanced lifters, um, I can't tell you how many times I've had someone come in who has a chronic history of lower back pain, and has been to uh, quite a number of physical therapists, doctors, trainers, etc you know, it had never really resolved their back pain. And then I I say bird dog, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I I do bird dogs all the time, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then I say, well, just show me what it looks like. And then my eyes start bleeding because I'm like, what? Like there's just their lumbar spines moving all over the place. And it's like, it's like, you know, part of me feels like, okay, well, you know, I'm sure this isn't to say that they've been coached properly, but then when they go off on their own, they're just doing it incorrectly. I mean, I get it, but at the same time, it's hard for me to fathom that, they've been to five physical therapists before me and that that they have not been coached on how to perform, how to coach a a bird dog or a dead bug properly. And I'm just like, whoa, like, um, you know, so I will be meticulous with that in in the beginning stages. And to me, when it comes to corrective exercise, a lot of I mean, the bird dog and the dead bug is kind of like a starting point for a lot of things I'd like to correct. Cause I'm, I'm just trying to get them to ramp up tension, really feel like getting the rib cage down, getting that, that, um, that canister position. So, you know, there's that canister position versus scissor position. So by scissor position, what I mean is, you know, rib cage diaphragm is pointing up like towards the ceiling and then their pelvis is pointing down towards the floor. And they have this like scissor effect with their pelvis pointing one way, the rib cage pointing another way. Um, and that tends to be a very unstable position for a lot of people. And then they go and lift, they try to go lift heavy things in that position. And then they wonder why, like, oh, my lower back hurts, or, you know, I feel like I'm not getting stronger. You know, there's, they're not making a lot of progress. Um, I've just found, you know, over the years that if I get people to, to lean into the more of that canister position, where you think about stacked joints, where their rib cage is stacked over their pelvis, um, I just find that, that people have a lot more success in that position. Um, and the starting point for that position is, is, is a dead bug, uh, getting people to learn, okay, get that full exhale. Like not just, not this shallow, like you, I mean, you listen to a lot of people do their dead bug. It's a very shallow, like, and they, they they go, they go very fast. But if I, if I have them do a drawn out full exhale, like five to 10 second exhale get the, get all that air out, get that expiratory reserve out. I mean, it, it's, I, I call it the eyeball moment. Like they feel their abs turn on, they feel the ribs come down. And then I say, I want you to own that position. That's that braced uh, position, canister position. I want you to really feel because if they can't do it, doing a dead bug, they're not going to have a prayer doing it when I put a barbell on their back. So it's all about it's just, it's all to me, it's always all about context. So it's like, this is you know, some people will roll their eyes at a dead bug. Um, I've had many quote unquote advanced lifters come in and roll their eyes at a dead bug. Um, but then, but then they, they're, they're singing my praises when they see their squat numbers go up because they're just in a better position overall to, to, to showcase their, their true strength just because they're, you know, their, they, they, their, their joints are a little bit more stacked. And they're just at a better, more stable position. So, um, Yeah, corrective exercise. I've really gotten out of the habit of getting of getting too far in the weeds on that. But you know, far be it from me. Like you know, again, if someone has a pretty extensive injury history, whether we are talking shoulder, lower back, knee, then yeah. I mean, a lot of times we are going to start with some you know motor like simple motor control, knowing where your body is in space, learning how to ramp up tension, owning positions, um, and then always always under the concept context of like these drills are gonna set the base for when we actually start loading you. Um, so you can still stay, stay in that safe, stable position when, when you're actually holding a weight on your back or pulling it off a floor and then making sure that you're, keep, you're just make, keeping your body safe.
0: Yeah, and that's such a great example too with the squat and, and the kind of that open scissor position that you mentioned. Cause like, I mean, the number of times that I've heard people having back pain, hip pain, or, you know, issues getting into the hole and how that correlates with that kind of arched lower back position. Yeah. Like that's probably one of the most common issues I see when people squat, because it's like, if you extend your low back, you're you're kind of tilting your pelvis forward. So now already we've already reduced the amount of range of motion we can get out of the pelvis. So you're much more likely to get, well, shouldn't say much more likely, but you know, in some cases you're more likely to get a little bit of pinching in the hips because you're going to run out Mm -hmm. of range of motion sooner. Beyond that, if you tilt your pelvis forward like that, and flare your rib cage, we destabilize the lumbopelvic pelvic complex. So it's like your adductor's now not in a good leverage position, your glutes are not in a good leverage position, and both of those are primary hip extensors, especially in the hole, right? So now we've destabilized this area, we've lengthened the muscle of the abdominals, and we don't have a good way to effectively transfer force up the chain because we're, we're lacking in rigidity. So it's like, then you start seeing all these problems happening like, oh, my, my adductor's hurting, oh, my TFL's getting really jacked up you know, like someone's adductors are getting like massive or lateral quads are getting massive, but then their glutes are just like the same size, you know, and it, yep. that's not necessarily a very indicative of anything, you know, but like you start kind of seeing these, these recurring patterns between athletes. And then all of a sudden you make a couple of little changes, like you said, the dead bug. And all of a sudden you have like five different things downstream that are just corrected right off the bat. Sure. And so,
1: and to me, that canister position you know, since, since you and I are kind of like going with a squat example, um, the canister position is, is for me as a coach is one of my tenets of, of squat technique. So when I'm coaching the squat, I mean, we, you know, the internet, we like to squabble over stupid shit when it comes to squatting and deadlifting, like bar high bar versus low bar hand position, where your feet should be all, all that stuff doesn't, it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, it, it, what, it does matter in the sense of like what feels best for the individual who's actually performing the lift. That's kind of how I roll when it comes to that. Um, but when it comes to squat technique when I, when I am coaching the squat with somebody that canister position is a tenant like across the board, I'm, I'm teaching that to everyone. Um, another way I put it is creating a flexion moment is a it's a term I got from Greg Robbins of the strength house, you know, where when they, when they, when they have the barbell on their back, and they unrack and they step back and they, they have their feet in place they're, they, and they're ready to go and, 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 and descent to the hole. They take that big gulp of air and they clamp those ribs down and they create a flexion moment, that canister position, and they own that as they descend into that squat. I, th- I think you and I both found as coaches, sometimes when, when people complain of hip pain and lower back pain, their initial motion when they drop down into the squat is to just extend into that lower back, fall into that scissor position. And then they, they 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 it just it's just a a cascade effect of like shit down and up and down the, the kinetic chain. You know, you you pointed to all the things like that, that that will go awry into in, in that and in, into in, in that context. So, um, yeah, I, I I'm really adamant nowadays as a coach. Um, like that dead bug to me is super important, just just from a context building standpoint. Uh, canister position, and then when we stand up. And then I put, I load you, whether it's with a kettlebell, whether it's with a goblet squat, whether it's with a barbell on your back, you need to understand that that's the position that you own. Uh, and then you're, you're probably going to be setting yourself up for a lot of success down the road.
0: Yeah, 100%. And I mean, I honestly don't even know if you could point to anyone who squats with like a super arch low back. Like- I mean that's that's where that's where our earlier conversation
1: comes, like the, the evolution of personal training and strength coach. Because I think early, I think you you probably read the same articles I did in the early two thousands. Like a lot of the power lifters, are like arch, 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 chest up, chest up, arch. You know, I've never admittedly, I've never competed in powerlifting, uh, but I do know that a lot of powerlifters, when they when when they are competing are wearing squat suits, which require them to arch because that's the only way they can get down to depth and those, those cues don't work well for non-geared lifters, which is probably 99, 98.2% of the population that are lifting it better in gyms, if not more than that. So that hard arch, uh, it's been nice to see that the evolution, like there's some really strong coaches out there, both male and female who have really leaned into this, like canister position and kind of gotten away from that really hard arch. I mean, don't get me wrong. There are still many lifters who are very successful with that. But I'm looking at the long game as a coach, like, sure, you might be able to lift a lot of weight, but your back and knees and hips are going to hate you at some point. Inevitably, I, I, I've come to, I've come to find. So, you know, why not, why not just start teaching um, good squat hygiene uh, out of the get go?
0: No, 100%. So can you just touch on the efficacy of some of the more common tools and techniques that people use to, to increase their mobility? So I'm thinking of things like Theraguns, uh, you know, banded distraction, foam rolling, uh, lacrosse balls, things like that.
1: Those are okay. (laughs) I mean, uh, those don't tend to be my my go to anymore. Like I I'm I'm fine with foam rolling. Uh, I'm actually I've come to nowadays. I'm more of a fan of doing it after a session just to kind of bring people down to homeostasis uh, after like a hard, brutal training session than I am. Mm You know i i'm one of my first teenage nation articles that i wrote was um i think maybe the second or third one i wrote so this is i'm dating myself this is probably like 2006 2007 uh it's called soft tissue work for for tough guys um where I, I discussed yeah the foam roller is cool and all but why don't we add a lacrosse ball or a tennis ball and really kind of really break down that scar tissue and trigger points and you know, we all know that now that is a bunch of bullshit. We're not, we're not breaking down scar tissue and taking out adhesions with a lacrosse ball. That's not, that's not necessarily how it works. What we are doing is just reducing or increasing our, our, um, um, uh, tolerance to that, that, that pressure and like telling, telling the the muscle to relax, like by telling, telling, digging into there, getting that Golgi tendon body to, to stimulate. and, And inevitably that muscle just kind of relaxed. We're not breaking down trigger points and, adhesions when we're when we're adding a foam roller or, or, or lacrosse ball um however i will say uh, I, I, far be it for me i have many clients who feel better when they when they foam roll for a little bit or use a use a lacrosse ball in, in their in their glue or in their tfl um i've not used a gun personally i don't know if you have um i have not but um to me, I'd, I'd, I'd rather my warm up for most of my clients is to do the movement <laughs> that I'm going to train that day uh, and then use that as the warm up. So um, I actually saw a great example of this on Twitter today where I forgot the coach who put it up, but he said, OK, today, today are my athletes. Today's their squat day here. The, the two drills I like to do for this warm up is a slant board band around knees goblet squat. Um, with also and also like a, a single leg um, uh, drop down kind of like a like a like a one of my not Thompson step down uh, Peterson step down um, and doing some of the because then he's like because right there I, I'm getting their knees healthy their hips healthy um, you know and we're we're we're, we're grooving the, the 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 pattern of the squat to warm up to squat um, so you know is it's, it's it, it sounds like too simple to be true, but that absolutely works. I don't, I, I think we've gotten into this, especially nowadays on, on, on a social media where we're trying to vie for everyone else's attention. Like, look at all these, look at all these cool gadgets and tricks and, and mobility drills we can do to get ready to squat where I was like, well, I could also just have someone squat and, and and like just, and not have it be very heavy and just do, and just kind of turn stuff on get their hips and knees nice and juicy and let's go, let's go train that movement now. So, you know, I've really simplified my approach as a coach, as I've gotten older, maybe, maybe it is my old age, but I'm um, just saying, okay, what movement are, what's, what's the main movement of the day? What is, what is the meat and potatoes of today's session? Whether it's, whether it's a deadlift, whether it's the squat, whether it's, it's the bench press or whether it's overhead pressing um, and let's, let's warm up doing that. <laughs> uh So that, that's kind of how I've, I've rolled with, you know, um, the up and getting people prepared for their sessions of late.
0: Yeah, no. And that's, that's essentially a really similar process to what I use. I mean, you know, I'll look at what, what the athlete's doing on that day and just so everyone knows, like if I say athlete, they don't need to be a competitive athlete. it's just generally what you call them. But, uh, so the client, like if, if my client is doing, let's say a bench press day or whatever, let's say they're, they're you know, a strength athlete or power lifter and they're doing bench press. And it's like, okay, what do you need for bench press? Well, you need scapular stabilization. Yeah, you need, lats. Now they need some pretty decent, uh, you know, thoracic extension and you need decent shoulder range of motion. So it's like, okay, what are some exercises we can do that are going to probably do a pretty decent job of tackling all those. So like, I'm a huge fan of bottom-up kettlebell presses, bottom-up kettlebell um, maybe like banded scaption. And I don't know if you're really tight in the lats doing like some, some, uh,
1: T uh, spine mobs,
0: yeah, 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 exactly. And so, and it's like that whole warm up is dynamic. It's active. It's increasing your core temperature. It takes five to ten minutes. Absolute tops. Yes. You know,
1: see, I, I, I mean, I agree with you too. Like, I this is not to say that okay, I'm not doing some like hip flexor mobilizations or like adductor mobilizations and stuff like that as part of the warm up, especially on like a lower body day. Um, I'm actually a big fan of face bowls. Um, like, especially holds where, where, and I like, I like gripless face pulls. I know you're familiar with Chad Waterbury.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I like those two where you're, you have like the cuffs or whatever. Yeah. So you're not,
1: so for anyone listening, you're not like when I say, you're not like actually like holding the, not gripping the band in your hand. It's like wrapped around the back of your wrist. So you're not, it's, it's a gripless face pull. So the band is wrapped around the back of your wrist and then you're pulling your hands back towards your face and pulling the band apart. So you're getting the scapular retractors, you're getting your, your delts nice and juicy, Um, you know, it's it's just a, and and, and he described it as a way, it's a great way of like promoting um, joint centration. So you work on getting that, that, that glenoid humeral joint centered in that glenoid fossa, Um, you know, and it's just a nice way of prepping the shoulders for the, the heavy, the heavy stuff you're going to be hoisting off your chest in about 10 minutes. So um, yeah, I'm I'm right there with you in that. I'm certainly going to be doing some form of like, you know break breaking down the, the 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 movement into individual parts just to kind of prep people but I, what i've gotten out of is like making it like a like a 15 circuit thing where where they're warming up for 20 minutes i guess the you know the more injured somebody is and maybe the older they are then the more the the longer that warm up may be um but certainly I, I i you know if i'm working with somebody and i only have an hour with them and I have a client after them. It's like, I have to expedite the process here. Let, let's, let, what can I do to get them prepped as fast as possible? Um, and, that, and, the, and just the, the movement itself, or, 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 or at least activating the muscles that, that are going to be part of like the, uh, uh, what, what, whether or not we want to call them accessory movements to the movement um, can be part of the warmup. Um, I mean, I'm actually a big fan, you know, for lower body days, like doing like shin boxes or like, or hip switches. Anything like that? Because right there, right there, we're we're working hip internal, external rotation. We're getting the glutes involved, um, you know. And to me, those are those are exercises that kind of tick five boxes at once, rather than just one exercise that hits one little thing, you know. So I'd rather just you know pick three, four, five pretty global movements that work a lot of stuff at once, and then that's the warm up, and then we go in, in into the meat and potatoes part of the exercise or of the of the session.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, it, I totally agree. I mean, you're you're using one thing to kind of tackle a, a whole host of downstream issues, and it's kind of like even with queuing, right? Like you get the same thing with queuing, where it's like, okay, what's one queue that I can do or that I can say that's hopefully going to correct this, which will probably correct this and this and this and this. So kind of like minimizing things. So that definitely makes sense. Um, I wanted to just kind of touch on the, one of the things you mentioned earlier when you were talking about like foam rolling, some of that stuff. Yeah. um, Because I know a lot of the research shows that a lot of those changes are pretty transient, right? So when you're foam rolling, it's only really going to last as far as I've seen anyways, about seven to 15 minutes. So if you have someone doing like a really long session, let's say 45 minutes of, you know, it's like, Oh, I've got a mobility day. Depending on how you're structuring that, what are your thoughts on, having one day dedicated to that versus like having a much higher frequency. So let's say instead of doing a ton of it, you're doing a little bit, you know, kind of peppered throughout every single session.
1: Uh, I'm actually a big fan of that, particularly the older a lifter gets. <laughs> i found that the older, you no, know, I'm not 25 anymore, big surprise. Um, I found that if I, if I can give myself like a, a bonus day um, where I either I head into the gym um, and just, I don't load my spine Uh, And I just kind of move around a little bit and kind of uh, explore ranges of motions and ways of moving that I don't do when I have a barbell on my back or when a bar or when a barbell is in my hands. I find that um, you know I feel better. Uh, You know, and certainly that could be done at home too. So um, one one term that I've used is I call it a, a, a bloop 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 workout. And what I mean by that is is if anyone who's ever played Super Mario Brothers back in the day when little Mario eats the mushroom and turns into big Mario and the sound goes, you know what I mean? To me, when I do a good mobility session or just like a separate movement day where I might, again, what I mean by that is I'll set up like eight to 10 um, stations uh, that are, are, they're not loaded. They're, they're just, they're, they're, they're activation mobility um, just general basic, like, Movement stuff, um, and I just set it up in circuit fashion. Where you know I'll have either myself or one of my clients just do that for 30 minutes, and say, you know, by the time they they get through that, that's probably about five rounds, 30 minutes. Um, they feel great. They feel like they they felt like shit coming in, and they felt they felt tight. They felt you know just not great um, after after that bloop 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 session. Like they feel great, and the the whole idea of it is just to kind of re-energize yourself get the blood, get blood flow going um, and just uh, break a sweat a little bit and just do something. Um, and I find like one, one maybe two days a week of those, depending on how, um, um, you know, the intensity of their exercise during the week, that helps quite a bit. Um, and to me, it tends to be a little bit more palatable than saying, okay, I want you to lay on the foam roller and I want you to foam roll for 20 minutes. And then, you know, I, I just find if I can make it again feel a little bit more like a training session um that people tend to be on board with it a little bit more because it actually feels like training and not it doesn't feel like you know wimpy corrective stuff that we know we should be doing anyway um so and, and another way i try to sneak it in as well is is in the workout itself so i you know I'm, you i'm sure you use the same way you might not call them fillers i call them fillers um where instead of you know doing your split stance adductor mobilizations or working on your shoulder flexion or working on your thoracic extension or anything like that. um, While they're resting in between sets of deadlifts or squats or bench press, they're doing these drills um, that, that are fillers. So, you know, they're doing something productive during their, their rest time. So that's another way that I sneak it in. Um, cause to me, no one gets excited to do PRI. I mean, I, you and I will geek out over about it and understand that positional breathing is very important. You know, canister or scissor position is important. Um, you know, getting the nervous system to chill the fuck out is important. Um, but no one gets excited to do it. <laughs> so if, if I can make it seem or, 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 or you know, kind of cloak it under the guise that it, this is the, it kind of feels like a training session. I think the the, the better off uh, it's gonna be.
0: Yeah, and, and sometimes I'll actually use a pretty similar thing if if I'm looking to increase an athlete's work capacity. So instead of having like a purely- Yes, great, yeah. You know, you'll you'll actually get them doing something a little bit more beneficial. And especially actually, cause, cause you brought up a great point, like it, especially if someone is doing, let's say like a sumo deadlift, right? And that does have certain mobility requirements, obviously and uh if you want to do it well anyways and so maybe they're having an issue going in there and then in between their rest it's like okay you can increase their work capacity and you can also maybe do like a really really slow deficit kettlebell sumo you know to really just make sure we're loading up the muscles we're feeling everything or whatever it might be so it's like you're you're simultaneously improving your work capacity improving their mobility but then actually it's translating to a much better performance. They could potentially put more load on the bar. They'll feel the movement better. They'll actually lock in a much more effective and efficient position. So you, you might even enhance performance just literally automatically because you're just a little bit more aware and you're able to recruit, I guess, your nervous system a little bit more effectively. Sure. Yeah, it's
1: all about it's all about prepping the nervous system. That That's the key. We all, we, we all know that the nervous system uh, is, is running the show. So anything we can do to, you know, that bad boy firing and at all cylinders and preparing us for that session the better off we're going to be
0: Mm -hmm. so i wanted to just kind of uh explore the idea of like range of motion requirements right Mm -hmm. because obviously we kind of mentioned this in the the beginning like it is obviously going to be relative sure you know i i think that's something that a lot of people are maybe unsure about as well because depending on who you're looking at like you look at um I'm not necessarily intending to like pick on anyone, but like, let's say like animal flow kind of style training Mm -hmm. or whatever. or Some of the, like, I can't remember his name, but like FRC or whatever. And and something like that. Yep. And it's not necessarily a knock at any of them, but their whole thing is like, we need to maximize blah, blah, blah about being human. And it's like, we need, like you said in the beginning, full range of motion of everything. It's like, do we though? Is that actually? Yeah. I I see the,
1: I see the argument there. Like, I think, um, you know, I, I have many colleagues who have taken FRC courses and I've dabbled in it myself a little bit. I've taken a few sessions and I've never taken like the, the weekend course. I, I do know that, that that certification is gets you brutally sore <laughs> over the course of a few days. And, there, and there's been, I, I, I've applied parts of it. And because I do think it's important to be able to understand getting into end range, uh, like ramping up tension and end ranges of motion. Because I think, especially if you're going to lift heavy stuff, you know, being able to get into a compromising end range of motion and, 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 and safely getting out of it, I think is an important skill to to learn and feel if you're going to have a long career lifting heavy things. Um, however, I totally am in line with you in that, you know, this idea that everyone um, had we're under the same you know umbrella of like these are these are what the human body, these are the range of motions of these joints and you need to have access to all this. know it's just it to me just doesn't make sense when we know that everyone's designed a, a bit differently like i mean i i you know over the course of the past two or three years i you know one one presentation i put on is is trying to get fitness professionals to lean into this idea of asymmetries um and that you know even even hip structure is like you can look at hip structures and see the difference i mean acetabulum's are pointing in different directions you know, femurs are different lengths and, and, you know, femoral necks are pointing in different directions and different lengths. And, you know, it's just, it don't, it just seems to me like it should be common sense that different shit is different and that people are going to have access to different ranges of motion. And our jobs as coaches is to ascertain that and to find, okay, what does this individual have access to, but in a safe, manner that that applies to their goals and their ability level it's really as simple as that like I I've never I've never gotten too worried about you know making sure that you know I've, oh, I take this weekend course and then everyone has to fall into this umbrella that specific parameters of that specific course I think any competent good coach will take all these courses because it's all information it's really all it is and it's important information and then you kind of you you kind of devise your own philosophy um, about how people should be moving, but then understand that everyone's different, and then how okay, FRC applies very well to this individual, but not to this individual. Maybe this individual needs more thoroughgun. I don't know. I'm just I'm I'm just spitballing here. But um, that yeah, I I totally agree with you that we we have to be careful not to pigeonhole ourselves as as coaches into thinking that. Every person that we work with, whether they're a high level athlete or just a, a, a an average gym rat, that they have to have this crazy amounts of range of motion. And if they don't, then again, they're they're this dysfunctional ball of fail. Cause that is not that is not that is not a useful use of our time and our in our mental energy.
0: Yeah. And so you mentioned something actually in the beginning uh, of of your response that was, uh, I think is really, really important. So I kind of just want to reiterate it is like you talked about, you know, how it is important to sometimes get into some of those end ranges or at least close to them. So you can learn how to get in as well as get out. And I think if we do have a bit of a buffer, then that does have some sort of a protective effect on things. Right. And I mean, if you're looking at ranges of motion, just like you said, it's, it's highly contextual, right? So like should a powerlifter be able to squat ass to grass? It's like, that's actually probably not beneficial for them. in a Oh, way. I
1: mean, that's no, not for them. No, mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> you're, you're increasing the range of motion, you're increasing time under tension, and you're making things a little bit harder for yourself. Yeah, doing more
1: work than they have to. So, um, but at, but on the flip side of things, like I'm 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 sure you've had individuals like this as well. They come in and they they are just loosey goosey. Like have like all I mean they they're like a pretzel. Yeah. Um. And then some people. Are, oh, that's great. I, I would argue actually, no, not really. Like, <laughs> like, you know, being too loose is, is dangerous too. Cause again, if you, it, you might have access to all this great, crazy range of motion, but then if you're not controlling it, uh, and not keeping, and, and, and then you're going to set yourself up for a disaster there too. So, you know, there's, there is like this Goldilocks point mm-hmm. where, uh, you know, yeah, sure. I mean, I I, I might have somebody who's very loosey goosey. Maybe maybe they're they, they tested high on the, the, the bait and laxity score. And then, you know, that might play into why they have all these joint issues is because they are they There are they are hyperextending their elbow when they're bench pressing or maybe when they lock out their squat, they're hyperextending their knees. Yeah, I, I would rather that not happen. So, you know, a lot of that's just us as coaches teaching them. OK, this is where this is where you should stop that movement right there. And now let's you know maybe we can use some of the, that that's probably where frc would come into play it's just like teaching these individuals okay get into that end range of motion now really ramp up intense or in, in tension there so we, now we can learn to control and stabilize it there um that way you're probably not going to get into trouble um so that that's what i mean by like getting into end ranges of motion and, and knowing how to get out of them I, I i often congratulate my clients and i you know when they i watch them deadlift and they you know they might Um, you know, they might hitch their lower back a little bit at lockout or, or, or even like round their back a little bit off the floor. But then in the next rep, they, they correct themselves and I'm like, see, you did it. Like you, you figured out what felt awry or or quote unquote wrong. Um, and you fixed it. Um, and that, that they, they have to learn that. And that, that only comes with, you know, practice, of course.
0: Yeah. No, for, for sure. And I mean, like, I guess to give a, a very simplistic example, of kind of what you were talking about, it's it's like, if someone in the bench press is really, really struggling to, to hit their chest, like that's kind of where their capacity is in terms of mm-hmm. ring, that's a big problem. Because if you start loading that up, and you're struggling to get it down to your chest, and you're feeling it, pull, it's like, I don't know, man, a little, <laughs> a worried, right, you know, and it's like, does that mean you're going to tear your pec? No, but probably not you know, the best situation for you. And and so it's like, I think in that case, you might want a little bit of a buffer where maybe you are doing some, like some swimmers or maybe you are doing some, some you know, shoulder cars or whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, and I think that could be a great option for that individual. Whereas the person that you're saying might do better with just a little bit more loading, cutting down the range of motion a little bit, doing, yes. I don't know, a whole host of things. And so- Yeah, I mean, I mean I,
1: yeah, right. You're just finding a range of motion that they can control. Uh, right. So, you know, I do that with a squat all the time where- you know, if they, you know, we talked about butt wink earlier, you know, a lot of it's just having a conversation about tension and canister position. And it's never, it's never the hamstrings, <laughs> you know, they, yeah. you know, I, I always tell like, you know, Oh, it's a hamstrings are tight. So that's why it's pulling them. Like, no, it's not the hamstrings. Um, but, you know, even if I am coaching them well, and I'm, we're hitting all these, these big bullet points, you know, at the end of the day, after that I'll say, well let's let's just put you in a range of motion that you can control. So we're gonna squat to a box. You know, we're gonna we're gonna squat to a point where you don't you you are unable to you, like you stop right before that tuck and then we're gonna build strength there. And then eventually maybe we'll start to inch our way down um, you know, a little bit lower. So um yeah it's just part of being a good coach, a good competent coach. <laughs> Boxes are cool. Yeah.
0: No totally. <laughs> and I mean I think that gives a lot of context into, you know, individual mobility requirements where it's like, how much do you need? And it's like, well, what are you actually doing? You know? What do yeah, you, I mean,
1: you, at, what do people do on day? Like I certainly, if you're working with a specific athlete, you have to know the demands of the sport. So, you know, you brought up baseball earlier, like, yeah, it stands to reason, like if you're a right-handed pitcher, you should probably have a, a, a good fair amount of uh, total range of motion, both external and internal rotation of that throwing arm. And then, it is completely normal to have more external rotation on the throwing side than the non throwing side. And that, that asymmetry is perfectly healthy and fine. And you don't have to fix that. Um, you know, not to mention, if you're a pitcher, you should probably have, you know, pretty decent adductor length and, and, and hip mobility and thoracic rotation and separation of you know, uh thoracic rotation and, and hip rotation in the contralateral direction. I mean, there, you got You certainly have to know the demands of the sport, but if you're not working with athletes, that are that are playing a competitive sport, then you ask people simply, you know, what are the demands of your everyday life? You know, you know, you if you're working with someone who works in front of, of a, a computer all day, their amplitude is pretty low. I mean they're, 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 they're hunched over and they're, they're just kind of in this little ball of flexion all day. And so with their session, I'm gonna to try to get them out of that and, and like you know, like extend and 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 move sideways and 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 maybe do some rotational stuff and um you know some some clients are, are are moms and they're they're carrying their kid on one side and they're hauling this up the stairs and you know they're they're taking grocery carts there and there and like so if simply if you just simply ask people what the demands are of their everyday lives like that kind of tells you what their mobility demands and and needs are going to be it's it's, i know it sounds profound i know i'm I'm not blowing anyone's mind of course but (laughs) but 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 i think as coaches it's important to just really simplify things like i i i think we try to sound too smart all the time and we try to like wow people with big words and you know i i just really think if you simplify it and speak more of like the the average person's language and like no, what do you do on a day-to-day basis from morning till when you go to bed like what are the demands of your life <laughs> let's prepare you for that yeah. uh, and I think you're gonna you're gonna do great things as a coach if you just focus on that
0: <laughs> yeah man it's 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 funny actually like the the desire to seek like higher, orders of complexity is like such an innate human thing, you know? Sure. <laughs> and I don't, be- I don't bemoan
1: people. I mean, of course, like I said it earlier, mm-hmm. it's all my wife. I think you've interviewed my wife before. Yeah. Um, yeah she's, she's and awesome. you know, she, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, a phrase that she always uses that, that I, you know, sometimes I'll overhear her saying with a client, like I'm not sitting in on the session of course, but sometimes i will just, you know, in the pandemic, I can kind of hear things sometimes. Uh, <laughs> you know, and she'll say, it's just information. Yeah, that's it. I'm not like, so I I don't belabor or bemoan any fitness professors who who seek out like higher learning, like, and they want to learn these, you know, PRI or FRC or whatever periodization, undelated periodization. And like what that, how we, how we devise programs, like it's, it's great. I, I, I you, you should do that. Um, But you just can't, it, 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 again, you have to remember it's just information, <laughs> and it, it's not the end all, be all. And not every one thing is going to pertain to every single individual, um, and that and that just comes with practice. Of course, I mean, I think, you know, the more seasoned coaches and trainers understand that, um, and you you start to learn like you you start to kind of lean more into like how are people more similar than they are dissimilar, and it's like averages, and you know, I, I think you and I would probably both agree like training training patterns is probably a little bit more use better use of our time than training in particular muscle groups. And, um, you know, so, and then just finding people's entry points on the, on those movement patterns, hinge, squat, push, pull, carry single leg. Um, you know, I think if you're just, the more you simplify that stuff and just say, okay, making sure that we're hitting these movement patterns on a weekly basis under the context of like what they have control over, you know, what the demands are of their everyday life um, understanding that not everyone's going to be in a textbook. They're going to have access to all this crazy range of motion. um, You know, I think you, yeah, simplify.
0: Yeah. And one of the, uh, one of the things that I know a lot of people I'm not sure, if it happened, like I, I haven't been in a commercial gym in like easily like five or six years, right? Yeah. Um, I train at like a private powerlifting club here. And, and I don't really have many friends who work at commercial gyms anyways. And so I don't know if it's still going on, but I remember when I was uh, working in one, there were a lot of different like screening tests. Uh, like there was the FMS, there were a couple mm-hmm. other ones. I'm not too familiar with what's out there now. And, and they were purported to look at an individuals or at least purported to, to maybe evaluate the risk of injury, right? So you kind of get a certain score. And since then, a lot of that stuff has sort of been challenged. And it's like, well, we don't really see any actual reliable evidence in terms of this being a predictive uh, metric for, for injury. And I wanted to kind of get your, your feedback on like why that might be, because I know a lot of people talk about, oh, you know, you need to be more flexible or you could get injured. And, and it's like, obviously there is some truth to that, but can you kind of just elaborate and apply a little bit more context to, to why that might be the case?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, I think how I've rationalized like things like the FMS and, and, and stuff like that is I, I think where we get into problems with, with scores is that I, and I, and don't get me wrong. I appreciate that we're, they're looking at it in like a global scenario where we're trying to take the law of average of like the human population. And, the, and these are the scores that kind of apply to the broadest spectrum of, of people. And I get it. Um, and that, oh, you should be able to perform a, a, a clean squat and control your spine with your hands over your head. And, you know, the, the rotary stability test where it's kind of like an ipsilateral bird dog. Um, you know, that one I'm like, I, I know maybe two people have passed that screen and <laughs> ever. <laughs> like, so I'm like, what are we, what yeah. are we doing? Why, why are we looking at that one again? Uh, like I, I know rotary stability is important, but um, you know, not many people pass it. I don't know about you, but I, I haven't seen many people crush that screen. Um, but anyway, like I think to me where, where I have a little, little, some issue, you know, and I took the FMS years ago. I took it, I don't know. I took, I took both modules in one weekend, um, Brett Jones taught it and it was awesome. Like he's a phenomenal teacher. And, um, I was actually very impressed that he spent the whole weekend and didn't swear once. I was very impressed by that. (laughs) It's like, I can't go 10 minutes without swearing, let alone a a weekend. Um, but where it, and again, it was information, information I thought was very valuable. Um, but now that I'm more of a little bit more, I'm more of a, You know, being married to my wife, I'm I'm more cognizant of the psychological components of the the words we use and what how the words we use matter. And to me, the last thing I want to do is to get people married to this idea that they're a number. Um, Like 21 is the perfect score, uh, but you're you're a 16. You know, then then they get too worried about. Okay, what what do I have to do to be a, a 21? Um, whereas in the FMS world, really, if you're a two across the board, like you're fine. Like that's kind of the goal is to be a two. So a fourteen across the board is to me is like perfect. Um, unfortunately, like that's just not the way the human mind works. Like if you're told that you're a one, you know, like, what do I have to do to be a two or a three? And then they get they get they get so focused on passing the test rather than seeing the, the forest through the tree or the trees through the forest, or however that phrase goes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that we get. It's just we get too convoluted and it becomes too, and they get too caught up on, on being a number rather than just looking at the, the bigger picture. Um, and, and, and trainers get stuck with that, too. So, um, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, but that that's how, that's kind of how I look at any t- any kind of screen that that provides a metric or a number. I try to avoid those. I mean, I might use the screens. But I'm I'm not I'm not I'm not devising any form of like okay you're I'm not scoring people if that makes sense because um, I just find that if I score people they they get too caught on the they get too caught up on the number uh, and I don't want them to to do that like I think it's important to find out what people's ability levels are on the on these screens um, but at, but even then like I'm per I personally am not doing an overhead squat um, I test the squat I just don't test the overhead squat like I'm just like eh. I don't really see a lot of real world application to that. If you're not an Olympic lifter that I really don't, I don't care. (laughs) um, So um, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, Daniel, but um, that gives you a little bit of insight, like why I tend to lean away from um, solely using an FMS or any kind of scoring system when I, when I'm assessing
0: people. Yeah, no, it, it, it definitely does make sense. And you kind of brought up something that I think is pretty important and often overlooked, right? Like the sort of biopsychosocial aspect sure. of, of injury. I mean, like you might score, I, I can't remember exactly what it was. I think you said 21 was perfect. So let's say you score 21 on the FMS. Um, but, you know, you're a college student, it's extremely stressful for you right now because you're doing exams, you didn't get a whole lot of sleep and you're dehydrated. You come in and you tweak your hamstring. It's like, Okay, well, technically, you shouldn't have been at risk for that, you know, but at the same time, like, there's so many other variables that are that are unpredictable, right? Like, especially football, I mean, like, you've got a bunch of fucking 300 pound Mongoloids just running at each other trying to kill each other. And it's like, okay, you can't really plan for that. I don't care what no. your, your ability <laughs> test says. It's like you get hippo in these guys, like you might die. I, I mean, sometimes die. shit just life, life and shit just happens. I mean,
1: I, I ruptured my Achilles last summer. I mean, I I mean I, I would like to think I'm a pretty healthy dude and I'm not yeah. dysfunctional, but you know, lo and behold, I ruptured my Achilles. Uh so yeah. who knows? I mean, I don't think I could have done any screen or assessment that would have told me that I was going to, I was, I was prone uh, to rupturing my, my Achilles um, maybe. Cause I'm just, I'm just too, I'm too explosive. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, but yeah, I, I agree. Like I, I don't really fall into the camp of like, you know, these scores are going to somehow tell me the, the, the bulletproofness of, of individuals. Cause it's all a crapshoot in my opinion. Like, I mean, I, again, it's information. Uh, I value the information, but it's just not that simple. Um, I mean, the human, it's just, we're, we're so complex. Life is so complex to think that, Oh, you're 21. You're good. You're not going to get hurt. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, and then likewise, I mean, I mean, I've seen people who walk in like walking disasters, like they have the worst posture possible. And that's another thing. Like when, it, like the whole idea of this whole idea of posture, like, Oh, yeah. you have forward head posture or you have rounded shoulders. Oh, you're dysfunctional. Like you're, you're going to be prone to injury if you don't fix that posture. I mean, I've seen people walk in with the worst posture possible. Like the, they, they go up against that plumb line. They are like the antithesis of that, but they've never had an injury in their life. <laughs> so, you know, so it's just all, I mean, you can't, I don't know. I, I find it hard to believe that you can say, oh, you you present this. So you, you're you absolutely more, more predisposed to injury. I don't know. I, I just think it's a bit, again, narrow-minded to think that way.
0: Yeah, no, that definitely makes sense, and I totally forgot the second thing that I was going to ask, but that's okay. <laughs> um, so honestly, we've kind of gone through a lot of the uh, the, the questions that I already had. Um, was there anything you wanted to kind of touch on, or just kind of leave the the, the listeners with? No,
1: I think I I think I hit them up. Uh, I hit everything I want to say. Like I'm I'm just actually looking forward to. 2022 and, and getting out there again and presenting and doing workshops and seeing people face to face like um you know like last weekend I actually had um I was coaching but I had I had three trainers come in and shadow and observe um one was from from the Connecticut area one was from LA you know was just it was just so cool to like <laughs> had people like coming around again and like asking questions like oh yeah like um, There's just such a nice feeling I, and I, I, I yearn for that in 2022. So I'm hoping that, uh, you know, we, we have something to look forward to, but, um, but yeah, I think that was a great conversation. So I, hopefully you and I made sense to people.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, no, I definitely, it. It, was, it, was, it was super interesting. Uh, so where can people find you?
1: Home base for me would be my website, uh, Tony And that is uh, all my uh, articles, blogs, social media, um, you know, workshops and conferences and presentations coming up. Uh, so that would be, um, uh, where people could get the access to me the easiest.
0: Awesome. So all that stuff's going to be linked up in the show notes, guys, make sure you check him out on Instagram and uh, all his other social media channels. He posts lots and lots of great content. Again, Tony, thanks so much for jumping on, man. It's been great to have you here.
1: My pleasure. Hope to talk soon.